In this episode, Ryan and I have a completely off-the-cuff conversation covering lots of topics concerning the infinite banking concept. We had fun doing it and hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And so listen, we've got some B-roll going on today because the cameras were rolling um, prior to me saying welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. And uh, I had to interrupt Mr. Griggs, right? So I said, oh, let's just turn the cameras on. Let's get it going. Because um, the first time ever that Mr. Griggs has showed up empty-handed <laughs> without content, <laughs> he even, on the way down, which is about an hour drive in good weather, uh, tried to listen to some content without success. So I'm as excited as I can be. Welcome, Mr. Griggs, empty-handed. And it's just like, ha- let's have an open conversation and unscripted as usual you know what's been nice i just thought of this over the last week because we've survived like the worst winter storm in texas history uh one of them is i've had many clients just email out of the blue or text out of the blue to ask and see how i'm doing because i know i'm down here are you reading my notes no sorry did you have that oh whatever (laughs) i didn't see that yeah but that's very nice you have very sweet clients absolutely and I've, I've written three things down. <laughs> um, but one of them was all the positive comments, the phone calls, the emails, the text, people just thinking about us, mm-hmm. you know, hoping that we're okay, checking in on us. I mean, it's yeah, lovely. I told you. my lovely wife, Jenna, the other day, and, and I don't want to beat you guys up, but I asked her, I'm like, Jenna, how many CPAs do you think, how many Texas CPAs do you think <laughs> received emails and texts and phone <laughs> calls? <laughs> uh worried about them or concerned about them and i don't know i'm sure there's a few of you but uh, and i don't know it was a legitimate question i just can't imagine a bunch of cpas with their phones being blown up hey we're thinking about you you okay down there well it is tax season so i i mean i've been emailing back and forth with my accountant and so i wish them warmth i guess you'd say (laughs) (laughs) well on the next communicate with them ask them you know, is your phone getting blown up with concern? <laughs> Maybe we can get some validation here. <clears throat> but we are good. We are safe. Power throughout the state's back on, and there's no water in this office. Yep, 20 miles south of Fort Worth. We have no water, but we have water at our house, and so we just purchased a house. We're living in a house that we just remodeled a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and <laughs> we bought another house that we remodeled, and we haven't moved in yet. So... Haven't had water where we currently live, but where we're moving to has water. So we've been trekking through the snow and ice, taking baths and showers. And <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's a chore keeping the facilities running without water. You know, you've yeah. got to go out and melt snow or get the pool water, you know. <laughs> yeah. All the hotels are, I mean, there's five hotels in this little town, which was a whole boondoggle several years ago. I mean, you got to ask yourself, I did several years ago, why would a little town like this need so many hotels? Mm. And we could we could do a whole episode on that and how they were financed, and it was mm. a boondoggle. Anyway, they're all full down here. Uh-huh. In, in this little town, I think the town has 4,500 population. Now, we aren't at crossroads between I-35 North and Highway 67, mm-hmm. which is, you know, they they cross here in Alvarado. One north and south, the other east and west. So, I mean, a lot of traffic and good weather. So, 
understand why there'd be a couple of hotels, but five and they're all full. So God bless them. You know, capitalism is alive and well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the people in Fort Worth probably fled south for the storm. That's going to continue to happen. A lot of people are going to flee to the south. Let me see. Or to the east. California is bleeding people. New York is bleeding people. Illinois is bleeding people. And uh, it looks like Florida down there is is a recipient mm-hmm. of, of the benefits of freedom. You know, come one, come on. Yeah. And I don't want to be political, but um, I, I listened to a, a podcast episode, one that I regularly listen to, and um, I think DeSantis is that the governor uh-huh. of Florida. Um, and I don't know hearsay if it's true, if it could even be validated. But you know, Biden's call. They had a converse, phone conversation, mm. and it ended with. Uh, it was sad in the podcast episode that it ended with DeSantis really telling Joe Biden what he could do. Oh, oh, <clears throat> and I love it because you know Joe Biden supposedly threatened you know federal action, shutting down travel, blockade or something. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, in Australia, <clears throat> talking about travel restriction in Australia, um, I understand that you can't go anywhere to the grocery store, to the gas station, to the to the mall uh-huh. without your little QR code from your phone and checking in. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying that it's probably well, this is uh, February 20th and you know the way we record and release these things is not you know this is recorded today on a Saturday it doesn't mean it's going to be released you know Monday or Friday or um, so there's typically a delay and there's several reasons for that but you know if you pay attention to what's going on around the world and how these draconian governments are restricting freedom personal freedom um, it's okay to start having those conversations with your loved ones what are we going to do if they Uh require this or if they require that or I mean, it's okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we should all go to Florida and buy land before it gets, you know, unaffordable. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said that on Facebook. They're like, Florida is better than Texas, you know, period, end of discussion. And I said, yeah, go try to get 100 acres in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me how that goes. Well, I think all states have their, <clears throat> you know, their strengths and weaknesses and, you know, this idea of, like, secession, Texas, you know, retains the right to secede from the Union. But there's no cojones in Austin. So don't bet on it. Yeah. You know, they uh, can't even run a city, in my opinion. But I don't want to be deplatformed. So I'll just talk around and about the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of being deplatformed, we're, we're uploading um, <clears throat> content to BitChute. You know, just in case the day's coming, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if it's if you if you speak the truth, I mean, you're marked and you know it. We all know it. And we're all looking at these slow motion train wrecks. And we're just a couple life insurance sales guys. It, it, you know, nothing offensive here. Nothing, right. Just nothing, all about commission. Nothing for them to worry about. Right. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Move on. <laughs> right. So. Well, what we've done a couple times this year that people have liked, and I've had comments from new clients this past week about them, is the uh, our discussion of different hit pieces. So we did, we had 
for New Year's 2021, <laughs> we talked about Dave Ramsey and a, a, a segment he did saying that IBC was a scam. Nine-minute clip. Yeah. And then we did a two-part one. Uh, part one's already been released here. We are in late February. Part one's out. Part two's coming probably end of this month uh, on a two-part series on White Coat Investor. And um, they like the Dave Ramsey one. They like the the one in part, this particular conversation I'm thinking of was with respect to the first uh, White Coat Investor article. But people seem to like that stuff. They do. You know, and speaking of the White Coat Investor <clears throat> at that time, and I think I might have made a comment on the on part one, I don't know, part one or part two, but it, that White Coat Investor is a uh, an emergency room physician. Yeah. Right? Just trying to break my microphone here. All right, there. Listen, man, you're rough on the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let me say this because, I mean, we hesitate to talk about the hit pieces that are out there because they're not very good. And we don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on the negative. Uh, however, there's also a place for it because it's out there uh, to the degree that people are investigating the infinite banking concept and the alleged, you know, the quote unquote pros and cons analysis. That's what they're reading. And so even if maybe in my mind or your mind, uh, they're not <clears throat> worthy criticisms or worthy uh, adversaries, you could say, that may just be, you know, my own projection. So if there's, I'm going to say this, and it's an experiment, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've encountered things online that uh, you think are uh, unduly negative or inappropriately criticizing or uh, are, are presenting the infinite banking concept uh, in an inaccurate light of some sort as being unduly negative – go to my website, fill out the little get in touch form and put a link to it in there and I'll review it. I'll send it to him because it'll just go immediately into the trash. <laughs> but Whatever. I will. I, <clears throat> you can tell send me it wrong. to me. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Um, I know where all the bad stuff is that I'm aware of. Yeah. And so you can send it. I'm just not necessarily going to take it apart piece by piece or line by line like you may. Uh, but and, I will. And you write on medium and i don't so but don't leave me out of the loop no no i'm no. not gonna leave you out of the loop i'm just saying send it to me so and i'll review it and if it's a prominent one like if it's a little blog post that two people have read then I'm, i don't really care but if it's a more substantial thing that deserves a response and there are things that deserve a response dave ramsey's deserved a response white coat investors deserve a response gary north all of those deserved a response and you know, I guess it's maybe it's hard for me to tell which ones deserve a response and which ones don't. That's pretty subjective, isn't it? I think, I well, mean, yeah, of course, but uh, that's why I'm saying if there's stuff out there that you guys are encountering or that people are presenting to you uh, as a, you know, a weapon to beat down IBC with, you can send it on. It's pretty we'll much like the Reddit. You know, we're sitting here before the cameras 
get turned on and, and we don't really have a topic. I mean, we're, it's not like we're unprepared. We just didn't prepare, you know, topics that we we're going to cover. So you pull up Reddit and, you know, and I, I pull up Reddit and, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm older, but, you know, I didn't meet Nelson until he was like 72 maybe. Um, and he did some of his best work in the last 20 years of his life out of his own mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Reddit, you know, I mean, the, the, you, you peruse the comments. I think somebody on there was said, hey, does anyone on here know anything about the infinite banking concept? And then there's a gazillion comments. And, the, you know, the ones that are really lengthy and they really would wish they were writing a book but probably couldn't get a publisher, you know, and you peruse it. And it's the same thing. But this one guy opened up with, uh, well, you know, let me let me preface with I haven't done this, but I know as much about it as the people who have done it because I've done a bunch of reading. And then they proceed to, you know, give their commentary. Mm-hmm. That's the same uh, basis that most of the time these quote unquote hit pieces or take down or rebuttals to the infinite banking concept. They're talking about something that they know very little about. And then and I don't want to beat up, you know, people who practice the infinite banking concept, the agent or the advisor, but, you know, just because they're a life insurance agent or an advisor and they can sell life insurance doesn't mean, and they can spell IBC, doesn't mean that they're an expert in the infinite banking concept. I've said it for years. You walk into a room full of people and somebody mentions the word the infinite banking concept and the guy with the license says, oh, I'm a life insurance agent. Let me tell you all about it. So they're the expert in the room. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that there aren't lots of very competent agents and advisors, um, but I don't really see them, you know, necessarily trying to take down hit pieces one by one. And I wonder why. Probably because they're too dang busy with clients. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe they don't want to put themselves out there. You know, how many lawyer letters have you gotten? You know, when you tell the truth point by point on an article. Yeah. Right. And it's like. In the in the, the litigious mm-hmm. society that we live in, and let me even speak back to white coat investors. When that guy said, "Well, you know, if, if you're if you're seeking like me and others asset protection, you know, life insurance has you know some some validity there." But, but at the end of <laughs> the end of the two page article, he says, "But well, you probably don't need asset protection." It's the same thing. It's grace for me, law for you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that reminds me of a Ian from the New England states emailed and said, James, I didn't know you did business in all 50 states. I have already engaged with a practitioner. They seem very competent and, you know, and, and it's all good. But I heard you on the Dave Ramsey uh episode and it really was not a Dave Ramsey episode. That was a New Year's rep- episode that we just talked about Dave Ramsey's hit piece before we turned on the cameras, and then it turned into almost a rebuttal to Dave Ramsey. Thank you, Ann. Um, so, and my point is, these things do need to be talked about. You know, when you're practicing the infinite banking concept, you're hearing a lot of the benefits of the infinite banking concept, but you're reading and seeing and hearing all of the negative stuff out there. And then all that stuff in between where people are talking about the infinite banking concept and really shouldn't be. Yeah. Because there's like 
innuendos, misinformation, disinformation, and I'm not saying it's coming from a, a bad place, right? I think when we're all first exposed to this concept, you know, it's disbelief. Why haven't I heard about this? It's going against everything I've heard negative about the life insurance. So there's um, this process that we have to work through. Is that the truth? And then I'm, I want. I think everybody wants the truth, right? But then they're still dealing with these articles like Reddit, uh, the white coat investor talking about the negative so it's a, it's a bit of a conflict which just gives you the listener the opportunity to keep betting mm-hmm. you know it's not the end of the world if you don't practice the infinite banking concept it is okay to be a slave to the third party lender your whole life it's okay if you want to do that it's your choice <laughs> I'm just saying it's like we're all born into this debt slave construct that we didn't have a choice yeah and then if we listen to the narrative that's presented it's the same in history it's the same in finance. You know, if you want to listen to the same in politics, if you want to listen to the narrative, I mean, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you don't want to listen to the narrative, if you want something different, then look and listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, well, let me, let me say this too, <clears throat> because this is my other thing that I wrote down. The white coat investors, emergency room doc, uh, physician, no disrespect, and uh, at that particular time, I don't remember when we recorded that, but I was <clears throat> speaking with um, a couple of emergency room physicians, you mm. know, that are either clients or have been clients or newly clients, and uh, and I was kind of talking about them. You know, you know, we did this. Ryan and I did this two-part episode on white coat investor, and one of them was—I think they were both familiar with it. But one of them said, God bless him, said, well, he's probably not a very good physician either. <laughs> Talking about how the physician is giving investment advice or you know, advice on life insurance or real estate or everything else that he's interested in except medicine. Mm-hmm. So. so I had this question this week. <clears throat> Let me ask you it. Um, guy is very enthusiastic about infinite banking um and other clients have asked something to this effect too it's like how do i get my people to adopt it and so what do you tell them like someone's got yeah someone's got a, a relative or a close friend or uh extended relative that you know children clients you know, whatever it might yeah. be business, business partners, partners associates how do you share it how do you get them on it you know i had this with uh, the nonprofit world too apparently i'm the only person on the planet who's written something about infinite banking and nonprofits. really my medium blog hey search online not gonna find anything else about it wow so people have asked me about it which is great but the it's the most difficult arena in which to get somebody else to adopt a, a different financial paradigm is within that nonprofit world. You know, your elder councils or your board well, of advisors. That includes the education or, construct, I'll agree, as <clears throat> being most difficult. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, not, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got professors who are clients, so I don't know. I've had more success there. I, there's been almost no success in like the just strict, standard, charitable, either religious or unaffiliated nonprofit world 
where it's seriously adopted, right? We're not just talking about like one donor giving a policy rather than giving cash. Like it's like as the institutional financial framework that, you know, this church runs on IBC. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any of that. And so like communicating, you know, somebody wants to communicate that to the board or to the, whoever is in charge of the finances or they want to communicate it to their brother-in-law or, you know, to their siblings. I've had that a few times, you know, got to get my, I wish my brother would pick this up. Um, I think that's natural. That happens with all of us because, you know, if we discover something good, beneficial, I mean, we want to share it with the people that we love. So, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that's just very common and it's, um, a challenge, but it's I, I, it's just like the physicians; they're they're not any different than the real estate investor or the business owner or the the the, the husband and wife running the family. You know, we all want the same things, um, but then you know when it comes to the physicians, you know they have a target on their back. I mean, I understand that, and they do too. They learn that very quickly. Whether whether somebody's repairing their house or their office or coming at them with these financial strategies, quote unquote, or, you know, the best, next greatest thing that Wall Street has foisted on the unsuspecting medical practitioner. So, but every family is the same too. You know, you have some that will and some that will not. Some that want to and some that do not want to. And Nelson said it, it's so true, you know, it's, this is caught more than taught. So in the infinite banking world, you know, we talk about teaching our clients and teaching this and teaching that. It's uh, it's caught more than taught, no question. So, and, and two, let me say that, I mean, I agree that in the nonprofit world, it's very difficult. Um, I have clients that have organizations that they're in the early stages. I mean, they may own several policies and they finance a church bus or what have you, but there's not I mean I mean how many generations how many clients do you have that have practiced this generationally you know none right yeah. so it's no different it is harder to to get the truth as bad as that sounds into the churches I mean I have lots of preachers pastors evangelists across the country and it quite often goes something like this James is, I can't believe this I've done all the reading that I'm convinced that I want to do this, all right? And then we have the conversation that, do you know what the, the organization could do with this? Oh my gosh, it's like, you co- you combined real estate and the infinite banking concept, you combine nonprofit with the infinite banking concept, it's unbelievable. It always gets around to, well, you know, it's in the church and in the medical practice, practice and in the business world it's an 80-20 rule applies Mm. so in the churches you know 80% of the petitioners the members are not participating and they're not supporting the church or the preacher the pastor the evangelist Mm -hmm. the 20% are doing more than the rest combined yeah uh, yeah so there's typically some financial guru on the board Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with the medical practice. You know, there might be five docs, there could be 25 physicians. And there's a couple of them that are financial experts. 
Mm. Right. And so they either, <clears throat> the same way in the dental world, you know, there's always a financial guru that specializes in that profession, whatever that profession is. It's the same. It's the same with. And with, he runs the market. Yeah. Like well, that little he, segment. He's got the ear mm-hmm. of all the other board members and all the other participants and partners, whatever the structure is. And which is is okay. You know, dissent is okay. Debate is great. Right? I mean, in a free world, don't we want to hear the opposing view? Mm-hmm. So um, if you send me this, I'm not gonna go right to the track. <laughs> I'll peruse it, but I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna write an article on it like you. You know, I mean, I might put a chapter in the upcoming book on it um, because it's so prevalent. But they're no different. The physicians are no different than the than the evangelist or the preacher, or the pastor, or the priest. They're no different from mom and dad. No different from grandma, or grandpa. No different from the business owner. We all are human. We all want the same things, and we all are living in this construct of noise. And that's what you know irritates me. Really, is the noise. Yeah. And. <clears throat> So, and then you have the tax qualified plan. I mean, this is just one further step of what exactly we were talking about. That financial guru, whomever they may be on the medical board or on the church board, has some, you know, uh, love of a a particular kind of tax qualified plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe they've had success in whatever it is they're doing. uh Maybe, like in the dental world, you know, there's a couple of gurus in there that. You know, they, they preach only tax-free muni bonds mm-hmm. in half for years. Well, okay. And, and you get into the real estate world, you know, the, um, you know, I mean, I have clients that, quote, unquote, won't do a deal under 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, some of the longtime real estate gurus that I have read, um, They've said and written several books, and, and what stood out to me when I read this one individual, <clears throat> um, he's like, you know, through, and he's gone, he's graduated, you know, he was in Nelson's kind of generation and, and had done real estate since the 50s, um, and I think he graduated like in the early, you know, 21st century, mm. and uh, he said, through boom-bust cycles, right, through... Uh, ex- the the expansion of the economy through inflationary and deflationary times, whether you're in commercial real estate, residential real estate, multifamily, single family, he said the the rate of return over all of this long time period. And he had about he had fifty years, forty plus years, right in real estate and doing. I mean, he was a guru, several books, properties all over the country, teaching. You know, he has disciples to this day. Um, he said the internal rate of return, the net rate of return in real estate is about 6%. Well, oh my gosh. And you won't do a deal under 20%. And the hard money lenders down there are 20%. It's like, hmm. Yeah. But if the real if the if the if the physician, whomever they are, have, you know, experience and comfort in one area, whether it's tax-free muni bonds, qualified plans. You know, that's what they're going to promote. What bothers me from the economic perspective when IBC or Dividend Paying Whole Life is compared to other to investments, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, we, we've, we've already excluded the conversation about access and use of capital. 
We're not even on this. We're not even talking about the same thing. And when so when we use the rates of return and, you know, I, I, I correct people on the phone when they say we talk about, you know, the, the rate of return and the cash flow. It's like, no, there's no rate of return in the sense that people are thinking of. Right. Yeah. The, the rental check in the mail or the dividend payment on the stock or something. It's like that's those cash flows are distinct. That is in the in the investment world where. The whole point is to give up control over capital so that it can be deployed somewhere else, right? Not under your control, but under somebody else's control. And then you're, you're paid for that. that. That's investing. In IBC, we are capitalizing, right? The question is, the, okay, maybe you go out and you do the investments and, and they provide the yield a return. Where's that return going to go? <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. What? Right? And right now it's going to a bank that somebody else owns to, and to whom a dividend is getting paid. And that person's not you. And there's so there's no capitalization strategy. And so these, I mean, and I guess it's the economics profession doesn't even talk about capital in these terms. So I can understand, I guess, that financial practitioners or financial advisors, financial professionals aren't talking in these terms either, right? But Nelson did, and it, you know, 73 times the word capital is printed in a 92-page book. It's not like this wasn't, you know, front and center on Nelson's mind, and we're the only ones talking about it. And uh, 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 we get a few frequently asked questions, you know, people who are and I wanted to mention this too, like people who want to start infinite banking, but they have a few questions. Maybe some things are uncertain in their mind. They might have a little fear going on. They don't know exactly when to contact somebody or contact us or whatever. And by the way, if the, if you're in that place, if that if it's the uncertainty time, that's the time to talk to somebody. Yep. Right? If you've reached the yep. the boundary of that level of understanding, it's time to advance the thinking. And you only do that by talking to somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. And so uh, in that process, a, a, a few of the frequently asked questions are rooted in how Nelson explained and compared and contrasted the infinite banking concept to other methods of financing things. And... So I point out a few things there. One, he was proving a point, right? That there were the, the examples and the analogies are constructed in a way to give an honest and legitimate comparison of using the infinite banking concept to finance what you're going to finance anyway versus relying on the third party lender, right? And that's it. That that was the point, right? It wasn't to say this is an instruction guide, a step-by-step -step how you in 2021 or 2030 or wherever we are, how you then go and implement in your life. Right? It was it was conceptual. It was to prove a conceptual point, which he did successfully. Um, but it, you know, if we adopt, when it comes to implementing in your own life, rather than trying to import the analogies in becoming your own banker directly into your circumstances, like instead of using becoming your own banker as a step-by-step -step guide for implementation for you, I have found, and I think it's legitimate, that the capital perspective helps a lot more. It's, yes, we're banking. Yes, it's about the movement of money. Uh, all that's, you know, there's no, I'm not contesting any of that. But at the end of the day, all we're doing 
is implementing a capitalization strategy. All we're doing is finding the best place in which to build and secure and from which to deploy your capital. Right? That that's it. Right? And we can talk about loans and we can talk about, you know, the why it's why why a policy loan is a superior credit instrument to other credit instruments in the in the economy because the the collateral is perfectly secure we can we can go into all that and that's legitimate but at the end of the day what we're talking about is how best to secure capital to and what do I mean by that how best to maximize the financial value that you have access to over the course of your lifetime right that's the question that's the solving for the banking function right Nelson said the question is how much of the banking uh, how much of the banking system do you control as it pertains to your needs uh, th and that's it right we, we this isn't rates of return this isn't uh, you know whether we have a well diversified portfolio this isn't uh, any of the other like get rich quick it's not even really about making money in the sense of generating an income it's about securing the income you already have right it's and so i think one of the reasons that sometimes it's difficult to like where's the new material well and we and we want to Wait, we want to address, <laughs> you know, there's a question of, okay, well, do we talk about the other things that are out there that are talking about the infinite banking concept or claiming that the IBC is a scam? It's like, well, yeah, okay. But at the same time, they're not even using the language. I mean, it, they're still speaking in their, in terms of their own financial paradigm. And it, it you can do that, I guess, but it's just, if you're not talking about what the primary residence of your capital is, then we're not even having the same discussion, you know? And so when, and this happens less and less frequently, thankfully, but when tire kickers, right? Unserious suspect, not prospects, but suspects call in, you know, that less and less often happened once last week, uh, how long that Do call we have last? these questions? <laughs> 20 minutes, capped at 20 minutes, hard cap. I got to go, I got lunch, I got something. I mean, well, I'll dogs, find something to, to do. <laughs> I got to mop the floor. Uh, <laughs> you know, but we get into the questions, well, you know, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I could just go get a better rate of return in the stock market. I could get 6% per year for the next 20 years. It's like, listen, we're, we, we're so far off base we're we are bitcoin is up 100 we percent. we're not even weeks. in the same book we're not on the i mean <laughs> we ain't in the same chapter nothing you well know? you know it's not an either or when whenever you and you you know you've made a great uh well i don't say it's definitive on any one thing but you know you've written about capital you brought up the point about capital you shared your um think tank talk a couple of years about manger and capital and and nelson and um which is good this is fabulous but you know going back to what nelson did i mean it's not it's not either capital or you know banking the banking function right i, I agree mean, it's a combination of those then you're focusing on you know capital look the the i mean the the one thing that a bank has is money whether it's real created digits or what have you i mean that is the product of a bank i mean the product is loans but you can't lend money if you don't have any money <laughs> so 
I know I'm rough on myself, man. I'm like banging it up five <laughs> times, geez. <laughs> so I'm, my point is this: that you know Nelson was trying to convey, and he did a very good job. Of you know, here you're going to finance these things anyway, and and I agree that the argument is not not the argument, but for the newcomer, the newly exposed to the infinite banking concept, from whatever realm, it's dang near always defaults down to the rate of return and then the argument is like well the agent just wants to get paid a commission and so they're going to de-emphasize the rate of return in a whole life policy because it's only going to be two percent or whatever it is and it's always i can earn this much elsewhere doing whatever i'm doing or whatever i want everybody else to do at the end of the day it's who's controlling the banking function period and then you're going to finance these things anyway oh wait a minute your capital must reside somewhere where should it reside and it should be the akin of a primary residence like i live in alvarado texas from alvarado texas at one time i could travel anywhere in the world to take advantage of an opportunity whether it's business or pleasure and when i've had my fill or i'm finished the schedule's over i'm going to return home because that's my primary place of residence. Your capital is no different. And the more you abdicate control over your capital and your cash flows, um, you know, you're going to reap those rewards and the results of that. And somebody else is going to profit, by the way. And let me go back <clears throat> to um, Nelson. You know, and you read his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. If you haven't read the book, you shouldn't even have a conversation about the infinite banking concept, period. And if your friends or your family, your colleagues, haven't read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and his second book, Becoming or Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, you shouldn't even have the conversation. That's why your phone call lasted 20 minutes with somebody who heard the word life insurance and whatever else they heard and wanted to, you know, pick your brain and mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, no, thank you. I've, I'm like, I'm working with fabulous clients all day long. I do not have time to educate at the base fundamental level whenever you won't read a 92 page book. And these hucksters and promoters that say, oh, here, we practice the infinite banking concept and you don't have to read anything by all means if you're attracted to that get on it get to it right but if you want to know the truth and you want to vet this idea then you need to read becoming your own banker right and oh my gosh this channel has made it very easy to continue your education or to weed out some of the things that you suspect are not true or to reaffirm or confirm some of the things you suspect that might be true Mm -hmm. I mean this like you you made a post the other day that there's 48 hours there's over 100 hours on this channel i think you were just talking about the episode yeah, just you us too. yeah. I mean, you're shortchanging it man there's a lot there okay look my facebook post <laughs> <laughs> well you tagged me in it so. okay uh nelson 1980 when he discovered like oh my gosh okay and his story's in the front of the book in 2000, when Nelson printed that book, it, it, look at equipment finance, five illustrations. In 2010, he added the sixth illustration. Why did he add the sixth illustration that should be compared to the second illustration? Because there's financing one logging truck. Because of the agents 
the financial advisors and the gurus between 2000 and 2010 that wouldn't let up. You can't do this today. You can't do the dividends have come down. Interest rates have come down. The CSO tables have changed and they changed again in 2020 was a deadline. January 1, 2020 Mm -hmm. to implement the 2017 CSO tables, Commissioner Standard Ordinary Tables. And my whole point here is when Nelson got up from the operating table, went to work, doing these 10-hour seminars all across the country. I know a seminar today is only six and a half hours that you can purchase. That just means they cut out two and a half good hours. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. My, I should be better at math. Right. They cut out an awful lot to get down to six. And I'm not saying good, bad, or indifferent, but what they took out was Nelson's Nelson. You know, and of course, the break, the time to and going to and from the breaks and what have you. My point is this. What were the interest rates in 1980? In equipment financing, associates finance, that interest rate was 13% that that logger was paying. And we think that that's heresy today, right? Because we have the lowest interest rates ever in your lifetime in recorded history, 6,000 years. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm I'm a student of history. When I say recorded history, um, there's history pre- 6,000 years. I just want to make that comment because I always typically say 6,000 years recorded history. All right. If Associates Finance was financing those trucks at 13, over 13%, the life insurance company that he used to finance those logging trucks was, the interest rate was 8%. All right. And, And now the CSO tables have changed. Interest rates have come down. And you can't do, you can't illustrate correctly or even legitimately what Nelson illustrated. And it's no fault of you, the agent, who's just trying to build policies, earn commissions. And all of these agents and advisors who squeeze down the policy so you can go cash on cash in the fourth year is what happened in equipment financing. And that was only one, every one of those illustrations in Nelson's book between CD Sisters and the college education and equipment financing, they're all different. All right, so this idea that one size fits all is heresy, and the idea that you know the the point that you're that you've made eloquently that you, you whatever it is you're doing in the real world, your personal world, and whatever interest rate you're chasing and trying to achieve, you cannot boil down the infinite banking concept to an interest rate or a dividend scale or any one thing. But the point that I want to make here is that Nelson faced the same issues in his day that we face today. It's pushing back against the frontiers of ignorance. Mm. You know, the quote that he used of uh, the Oklahoma Cowboy, Will Rogers, you know, it's not so much of what people uh, think they know or what they know, it's what they think they know that just ain't so. You know, this when you when we come at this idea of becoming your own banker and we try to put it into a little box on any one characteristic interest rate Mm -hmm. or dividend Mm -hmm. you've missed the whole message and it's not the agent or the advisor trying to obfuscate the truth right it's who's performing the banking function as it relates to you and if you don't want to become your own banker move on you know quit wasting the agent, the advisor's time who's trying to advance the truth about money. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, my I, point is that Nelson faced these same arguments, mm-hmm. the same pushback, and you know he just had more grace than me. He had more. He was much more of a gentleman than I. Yeah, super patient. So. Really patient. I mean, what bothers me is like learning more about the industry over the last few years. Is you know nobody questions the underlying construct this protection accumulation distribution thing where you're supposed to Gosh. build up whatever it is you know stock or and then and you, you don't touch it it's protected and it's accumulated right you just live on your little meager income over time and then when you're in your golden years now it's time to distribute what you've accumulated right you're going to sell off you're going to take your uh, you know the little pittance that you're allowed four percent rule going back and forth three percent four percent hopefully five percent hopefully there's not a recession or depression at the time that you decide to start taking distributions from your tax qualified plan or whatever it is but it's like why why is that just assumed to be why is income replacement later in life necessarily the superior thing to to aim for why is why should that be the objective and we just kind of accept that, that that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the income we have now. We're going to assume an inflation, you know, all the arbitrary numbers that are going to happen over the next however long it is for you, 10, 50 years, whatever it is. And then, you know, we're going to produce that flow of that's magical, arbitrary flow of income late in life. What what why does a why would a serious professional want to do that as their business? And and. It just doesn't make sense to me, and like it, sure. I don't understand why, like because I've had the question, you know, like what is what is finance? I don't want to get too like metaphysical, but like what is finance? <laughs> what I mean, what is a financial professional? Did you bring some gunge. What is a financial professional <laughs> doing? Like, what's the point of that industry of that uh, of this particular profession? And to me, the question has to be how how do we maximize given everybody's circumstances right i'm not trying to change anybody's life i'm just saying given what somebody's doing how do we maximize the amount of capital that that person gets control over over the course of their lifetime that's the question and the and the industry my opinion ought to it doesn't currently but it ought to exist only to answer that question and provide the tool necessary to get it done. The financial industry the should fin- exist the for fi- that. The financial professional. That's the point of of this uh, of the existence of a of a financial practitioner of somebody who wants to call themselves a financial professional. That should be the question, and everything you do should be about answering that question. Well, don't most financial professionals feel like or think that they're exactly doing that? No. Really? Oh, no. No. Is, no, I don't think they even, I don't think they use the word capital. I think they'd phrase it in that. I'm not saying may. that they do or they use the correct terminology. My question is, don't most financial professionals, and whomever they are in whatever you know area of expertise they practice in, don't they think that they're no. doing that or delivering no. that to their clients? No, it's compartmentalized. There's temporary death benefit in the event that the breadwinner passes away, right, to provide the, 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 the same sort of quality of life for the remaining dependents, and it's income replacement. 
later in life. Are you talking when specifically you then about the life insurance industry? I'm talking about financial professionals. People <clears throat> who sell securitized products, people who sell tax qualified plans, a lot of the life insurance people, universal life sales people, variable life sales people, all of that is built to fit within this protection accumulation distribution yeah. box, this yeah. assets yeah. under yeah, management yeah. No box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you got a few who, uh, who uh, serve the ultra wealthy who are, are trying to you know find you know these hedge fund people who are trying to find special outside the hedge fund people serve as the ultra wealthy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love it okay yeah i mean i'm sure they think they do but i mean okay i know what you're saying okay yeah all the people behind the rock you know what i mean yes right? the, i know what you mean okay i got it and you do too i, I understand i'm just like having fun on a saturday cold saturday afternoon. i know but that i, I don't it doesn't make sense to me why we just accept that, that that's, you know. I mean, it goes along the lines that, the, and, and I understand and I appreciate your point, um, this whole accumulation to a point, distribution to a point, it, it, because you're going to be in a lower tax bracket and you're not going to, you know, love your children, you don't want to give them anything, and or you're going to be able to live like no other because you ate beans and rice and, you know, all of the 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 antidotes that that are used to support that thinking right um and it's like wait a minute you're you're going to quit living you're going to quit spending you're going to quit traveling maybe you're not going to buy a brand new car for yourself whenever you retire but maybe you want to buy one for your granddaughter you know or maybe you want to finance it for your grandson i mean so i i agree with you and my point earlier to my question was, I think most financial people believe that that's what they're doing for their clients, is putting them in the best position to accumulate capital without using the terminology. Why else would they focus on rate of return? It's to, it's to meet a, a magic, it's to meet a minimally sufficient number to provide a uh, an income for a stated period of years, yeah, yeah. but it is capped. It's yeah. how much this, these, these are the questions and all the captive company financial conversations, the sales conversations. It's what's the magic number we need the magic. Oh yeah. Your number. Oh yeah. You see them on TV all the time. Here's your number. What's your number? Yep. This yeah, is yeah. how much you need in yeah. order to provide this stream of income for this amount of time late in life. Yeah. It it's a, re, it's reverse engineered. Right. This is what we need in order to get it's all embedded within that more fundamental question of income replacement late in life. That's it. It is not. How do we who who are you to tell me how much income I'm going to live on in 40 years? Like, wh why would that be where we start? How about as much as possible? And how about I have an infrastructure in which I can accumulate as much as possible over my lifetime. And so when I decide, if I decide to start taking passive cash flow later on, I can do that if I want. And how right? you want. But if you, if you don't <laughs> adopt that yeah. frame of mind, if you take this protection, accumulation, distribution, assets under management kind of thinking, not only will you not be in a position to determine when to take money, you will have to. Yep. Right. You, it, it could be that, like Nelson, you decide to keep working. What? Uh, yeah. And be productive, the most productive in the latter quarter of your life. 
What? At, with the mo- at the time when you have the most experience and you have the, the, the longest relationships and the most number of contacts, like what? It well, could just be. flies in the face of the socialist idea of retirement. And that's really where I'm going with this is that it's all this whole packaged thing is like it, it it's it's disrespectful in a sense like there's there's uncertainty in the future and that should be taken seriously like to for someone to assume that oh we're just gonna we're gonna hit there's, there's this bullseye 40 years into the future and we're gonna hit it by putting your money in a market prices of shares of which are not guaranteed and in fact do and have fluctuate all over the place and there's a lot of historical data to show you that and there's theory to explain why it happens so we're gonna take all of this quote-unquote protected money and put it into the market where it's gonna fluctuate for you know over the next 20 to 50 years however long you're going to continue to work in your little job that we tell you you have to stay in and then we're going to magically hit that little target at the end it's silly to me it's not only silly it's arrogant yeah it's not even you know i say it often it's uh not even really how much control do you have over your future some i mean we can debate on how much yeah you tell me, you tell me how long you're going to live. It's not even. Yeah. It's God's business. Yeah. I mean, I get it. We, we can have actuarial. They can tell us how many 50 year old men are going to die this year, next year, and the year after, and all that. I get the I get the actuarial science, the law of large numbers, and big data. I get all that. But for you, or anyone, not for you, the financial guru, to make all of these assumptions is beyond silly. It's it's arrogant. To the nth degree, and quite humbling whenever you live uh, 30, 40 years in the financial world and see that what you were taught and what you understood to be true is like the opposite. Yeah. It's very humbling. And so to me, in my opinion, you, you, you to stay in practice, right, um, you know, there's got to be some internal... Uh, soul searching decisions made you know it's kind of I'll relate it to like the universal life policies that are just a continuation a version of the noise for the universal life agent 30 years later 40 50 years later um, 40 years later to promote universal life just screams two things one of two things you're either less than honest Right. Because you've experienced the first two iterations of universal life, just typical universal, traditional, uh, initially universal life with the high interest rates that came out in the 80s. The side fund can earn 14%. No kidding. <laughs> uh, the second version of variable universal life, and I know we've talked about this, but I want to emphasize my point. You know, strike one, they got it wrong. E.F. Hutton, you know, E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. I know Nelson said that. I mean, I remember those commercials. All right, okay. Um, so the brokerages, the brokers, the stockbrokers, in collusion with the life insurance companies who wanted to be all things to all people, created universal life, appeasing the federal government and the consumer protectionists like Ralph Nader. They got it wrong. And then, oh, wait, the market's going up like gangbusters through the 90s. So it's a variable universal life. We'll just put some stock equity sub-accounts in there that look like mutual funds. 
they got it wrong there. Now they've come out with the equity index universal life. And they've got it wrong there. Strike three, you're out. My whole point here is that um, it's akin to if you stay in the financial services industry long enough, and I know that's very broad, but when it comes to helping people or encouraging practicing in the area of retirement planning, and um, if you're not humbled, right, and, and which forces you to make adjustments in maybe your beliefs and your practices, right, to the point, I mean, I've seen a lot of people leave the industry, right, they just, they're like, I'm out. Um, I, I'm associating that the same line of thinking with universal life products. If you're still promoting in 2021 mm. universal life products, you either have no, you do not have the experience and therefore you're ignorant, or you do have the experience which makes you less than honest. And let me say that, um, and I've said this into a room full of people and the, all the little agents that, that hit the, the dislike button, okay. You know, knock yourself out. But also, let me say that I have calls from agents, like when life insurance agents buy life insurance, when actuaries buy life insurance, all right, they call my office. All right, so I'm not just speaking out of anger or, you know, it's really disappointment that, that it still goes on. And I know all the actuaries that have created the life insurance. I don't know them personally. I understand when you create these products. You know, fundamentally, actuarially, it's sound. It's it's correct. It's structured correct. Universal life. Right? Actuarially, the numbers are right. right. Well, and then there's never a problem until there's a problem. Somebody continues to live. Oh, your investment, you know, your fabulous investment team can't produce the results. Oh, you got gobbled up by the big hedge fund. You know, and then... Who has a contractual right to raise a premium in a universal life policy? The issuer. Right. I, I don't mean to get sidetracked here, but a couple of points that uh, I wanted to bring out. The idea that the future is known is arrogant, even to your life expectancy. It's arrogant. And I understand that we can all have some kind of influence on our health, right? Um, it's the same idea that, that 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 taking somebody out of retirement or taking somebody out of the workforce at their most experienced time is so socialistic and so narrow in thinking and is so uh, based in scarcity. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes from World War II, all the men coming back from World War II, they've got to take the older people out of the market to give room for these returning soldiers a, a place to work and, it, and it's like it's a continuation of Otto von Bismarck yeah. right okay zero sum fallacy exactly and it's a it's the same idea or the same flawed thinking that's like you know what social security is going to be there whenever you retire and I believe it is because the federal government has the ability to print money out of thin air and so they're not going to quit sending social security checks out next week next month um but the flawed thinking that you put money somewhere over your lifetime and it's locked up in a, you know, there's a social security trust fund locked up in the cages of, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the basement and the hills in West Virginia. And there's a bunch of, it's hogwash. Social security was a tax. They spent it before they ever received it. There is no money. In Social Security. So this idea that we should all be angry at the federal government for taking something from us that's rightfully ours, 
you know it's naive it's naive. you're being generous all right yeah. so it, it's the same kind of arrogant thinking and it's like if you want to remain ignorant and unknowing it's okay and that's why I like to dig as deep, you know, into these like basic fundamental assumptions. You know, what's the what's the basic model? What's the basic form of the model that's in the financial industry, and what's underneath that? Oh, you know, if gosh. anything, because it, and that is the opportunity for people to disabuse themselves of these old methods, these old, not relatively speaking, not that old, hundred year old technocratic, socialistic, flawed, fallacious, economically corrupt. Thought processing, you know, we're accused or uh, lauded as, depending upon your perspective, as Nelson Nash purists, and it's like you get the you get the sense that I'm in like we're in like a super specific niche, and it's real small, and you know, I feel though like we're the only ones doing finance, like the 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 rest of the industry that's operating on this AUM stuff. I mean, I don't know what it is they're doing, but it's not. It's not solving for the banking function. It's not solving for the, an individual's need for a properly designed system of policies where, in which they can accumulate capital and from which they can deploy it over their lifetime. They're not doing that. They're, they're doing something else. Right, and maybe that's fine. Maybe it's maybe you're a, a, a you know a, a skilled investor, hypothetically speaking. You, know, um, <laughs> you say that like they don't exist. And, I, and I'm just not ready to accept the idea that somebody else should be managing your capital for you. I, I think that almost always there is a neglect of the opportunity cost. And the opportunity cost is the value of your money under your control in your business. And I don't think many people look at themselves as, the, as their own uh, return generator, as their own, you know, the, the, their own best investment. You know, uh, well that that narrative, that message is promoted, reinforced, reiterated, every at every turn, newsprint, TV, radio, the idea that you are not able, you are not smart enough, you are you know too simple mm -hmm. to control your own finances to control your own money this idea of dependency upon wall street and the federal government mm -hmm. is like oh my gosh we're four generations into it this narrative you know and and, and it's like uh, it's part of the reason i love history you know one of the unfinished works that nelson and i were talking about before he graduated you know there's three or four books that we had read and he had read and you're like james you got to read this you got to read that and and, uh, and I've talked about it before. I spoke on it, it was about World War One, you know. And then my discovery of Eustace Mullins and his writings and his work and his mentor Ezra Pound. Um, and, and I want to get to this point: history and this narrative that we are born into unwittingly, and, and it takes us, you know, a long time to figure out. It's like, wait a minute, this game is rigged, and it's not <laughs> for me, and I've been lied to my whole dang life. All right. I just want to go back to World War One, okay? Now, you know you cannot have a world war without a central bank. Cannot be done. Mm -hmm. All right, so mere months after the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, World War One started. And this narrative, this 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 revisionist history, is really what it is. It's almost reversed, right? What we're taught as history is not true. I mean, hundred percent. 
like 90 percent <laughs> okay all right how do you get these young men from all over the world germany belgium russia australia canada the uk the united states how do you get these young men that they didn't have radio world war one right 1914 is when it broke out all right how do you get these young men from all over the world to travel hundreds or thousands of miles away when the average all-american farm boy never moved never traveled more than 40 miles away from his farm how do you get the parents to buy all in and send these young men overseas to shed their blood for the the hun the german who is going to attack us at any time then they didn't have the ability so i mean it's a legitimate question and my point here and this is what i discovered for myself is that these men from that late 1800s were they were born they were educated they grew up in this idea this construct that the germans were bad all right and then like ezra pound you know he did the cantos and but He's seen his friends coming home from World War One, right? And if they came home, you know, and then they were maimed, and and he's like, hmm, how about Smedley Butler? All bankers, all wars are bankers' wars. I'm just saying, Ezra Pound seen what was going on. He's like, oh, he he's the one that encouraged Eustace Mullins to 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 go to the National Archives and and study the history of the Federal Reserve. In 1950, he printed a book, called The Secrets of the Federal Reserve, in 1952, I believe, right? From good old-fashioned elbow grease and hard work, going to the documents, right, and getting history. Okay. Um, Ezra Pound sees all this going on, and then Ezra Pound is on Radio uh, Europe, I think out of Italy, when World War II was being stoked up, and he was saying, hey, you know, this is not the construct, what you're being told is not the truth, and then he was ostracized, and my whole point here is that this narrative that we're surrounded in, that we're born into, um, it's like the Truman Show, you know, you get up every day is the same. It's like there's something going on. I might be being manipulated. And then, which also I want to make a point that, that I've thought about a couple of times since we really, or we talked about the white coat investor. That guy who wrote that in that commentary, I don't remember if it was the first article or the second article, you know, trying to disparage anybody who promotes the idea of the infinite banking concept that you can become your own banker. There was a, a, a little innuendo and there was a direct, it wasn't even an innuendo, it was a, it was a straightforward punch, left-handed. It was like, most of these people are also conspiracy theorists, mm. <laughs> you know, that practice or promote the infinite banking concept. And I'm saying, well, yeah, maybe, maybe they're students of history. This is what happens when it's unstructured, brother. Well, I think it's good stuff, though. Yeah. I mean, if it's effective in my never having to answer another question about the rate of return. Oh, well, don't <laughs> set anything up for failure there, right? <laughs> then it'll all be worth it. Well, what is that uh, rate of return whenever, you know, you finance your daughter's wedding and your other daughter's wedding and your other daughter's wedding and you finance their automobiles? And then you finance at least maybe or maybe the whole purchase of their new home or the down payment of their new home. And then their children 
um, and then, oh, wait a minute, you, you finance that, you've accumulated capital appropriately, intelligently, and I'm not saying everything else is not intelligent, and I'm not trying to patronize, but I'm saying you're going you're gonna to do these things anyway. You're going to spend this money anyway. You're going to finance these things anyway. All right. So if you accumulated money appropriately where you own and control it, all right, you you control it, all right? You have contractual rights that far exceed these unguaranteed choices in the financial world that are set up and constructed for someone's benefit that may not be you. All right. And then, oh, wait a minute, they, they have children. Now that's a, three generations from you, you're one, your daughters are two, and their children is three, your grandchildren. And, you know, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to grow up, go through orthodontics. They're going to, you know, get automobiles. They're going to get a college education. They're going to graduate and want to, you know, do everything that you've done, buy a house. And then, oh, my gosh, what is that worth if you can put something together more than one generation? What is that worth? Where do you put that rate of return on a life insurance illustration, the eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper? You know, where do you put that in your financial plan? How do you put that rate of return on there? I, I don't know. And that's just in one narrow conversation. You know, the problem is you can't get the policies big enough. I mean, I had, I had a guy, uh, we've talked about him, restaurant guy. John, you know yeah. who you are. Yeah. Can't get the policy big enough. Because of proposed maximum insurance limits. Well, I mean, that's that's just one case that's recent for you. My and own over last and year. over and over and over. Can't build. What do you mean enough. I can't I can't pay the premium that I want? Oh, because it requires a certain amount of death benefit, and I'm limited. We're all limited on our insurability. How much death benefit we can have enforced yeah. from all sources, and then wait. I've got to go through because it's a financial product. I've got to go through suitability. Mm -hmm. the, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, the federal government, the life insurance companies want to limit how much I pay in premium. Now, wait, is there a limit? If I wanted to go open a stock account tomorrow, is there a limit on how much of my money I can put into that stock account? Nope. No. So There's no limit to how much of other people's money you can get to put into the <laughs> stock account. Yeah, how much yeah. how much capital did Bernie Madoff burn? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just saying it's phenomenal, right? You know, so, uh, there's all these all the agents who want to put together these sales systems so they can generate leads and then contract you know the recent high school graduates so that they can you know make little a uh, little agency. All the get out of debt schemes and all the various you know methods of selling uh, the sales systems throughout the IBC and related footprint. Um, there's so much emphasis and time spent on them. But then you take, and, the, and these people are, you know, average. You know, they have jobs, families. Maybe they're in debt. Maybe they're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, whatever it might be. There's a whole all-sales system built up to target these the, kinds of people. Are you talking about the middle class who's being crushed? Yeah, yeah, which is all legitimate. It's fine, but so much time is spent. Almost no time is spent on talking to the person who knows he or she is doing well and and the problems they're going to face because they're going to face a different set of problems one of which is you can't get the policy big enough well we all face that even you talk about the all-american average you know individual that's just trying to finance these things automobiles i mean that's it's so easy you know to say automobiles because we're all driving at least one car and then we replace them like 
throwaway products. Um, even they, the all-American individual, family person, because we're limited on how much total enforce we can have, because we're limited on how much of a premium that we can pay is based on a percentage of our income or you know our net worth. And uh, I'm just saying we're all limited. We all, if you practice the infinite banking concept, you're going to hit these limits quickly. And it's a challenge. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it, I, I, I mean, some of these tax bills that you successful people are enjoying, right? And then, and then the idea is like that, that you can, that you can put, quote unquote, as much money in a life insurance policy, so you can get as much money out as possible. <laughs> and, the, and the idea that you run as much of your cash flows through a life insurance policy as possible, like that's the end all be all. Like that's the goal, get as much out as possible. You know, and, and I don't know how many times we've talked about illustrations and examples like these part-time or newly licensed um, agents, quote unquote, that are assisting these sales promoters, these, you know, and I don't want to disparage them all. Um, I just want to speak of them appropriately, okay? I see it all the time. It's like these people, they, God love you. <clears throat> you know, we all want to do the right thing. We all want to make a good decision and nobody wants to be taken advantage of, right? No question. I get illustrations sent to me all the time, daily, weekly. And, and there's like two pages of a 27-page illustration. There's two pages to a 19-page illustration. Mm -hmm. And my office will ask, well, where's the other? No, that's all they sent me. You know, that's illegal. And they do that for a reason, right? Because you can't get past the tabular detail where you go cash on cash and you're four or two or one, <laughs> right? But they leave out all the little disclosures and disclaimers that are printed in bold, right? And that's not even a contract. Wait till you read the contract. Wait till you get the contract <laughs> that you won't even read, right? Because the, the agent, hell, they didn't read them. Are you kidding me? I'm just saying that talk about those are dim no wonder the life insurance industry has a bad rap. The companies keep hiring these people and keep giving them contracts. And listen... I never miss an opportunity to share my opinion with all the executives in the life insurance industry that I'm associated with or have the opportunity to be in close proximity to. Some ask me back continually and others avoid me like the plague. Mm -hmm. They want to deplatform me. Why? Because the truth freaking hurts. It's like Mike Tyson, you know, it's like, you know, what, what, did, what did he say? Like, we're all... Until we get in the ring, get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have a plan. Till we get in the ring, mm -hmm. get punched in the face. Samey, samey. Yeah. Look, I can hear your stomach rumbling. Are you hungry? You're like you already checking I out. I am. I'm you ready. You don't have any more points that you want to be labor. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. Well, thank goodness we have more material so we can do another episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.